0: What is resurrection? Like, not just, not just Jesus' resurrection, but what did that affect? What, why do we celebrate that? And wh- how does that in any way affect our, us, <laughs> right? I think there's, there's a bridge that we don't often connect. We just talk about his resurrection. We go, well, that's great. But why in the world do we think that we benefit anything from that? And so that's what we're going to be spending our time in uh, next week. And we probably could not, um, we could not have picked a better lead up into this than the last three chapters of Judges, <laughs> because it tells us exactly why that cross needed to be emptied. It tells us exactly how desperate we are for God, how desperate we are to see the world through His eyes instead of doing what's right in our own eyes. Which which brings me to the first question. I want you to think about this because um, I, I was thinking about while we were worshiping, and I go, "Man, do I think I'm right?" Okay, if you know me, you probably know that the answer to that is, yes, you probably always think you're right. Um, but really, like in general, do we think that we have enough wisdom, education, life experiences to make the right decisions? Do you think so? I, I, think, we, I think that is what we think. <laughs> I think that's exactly what we think. And, and I look back on decisions that I've made in my life, and I've gone... I just kind of made decisions. We, you know, Melissa and I made decisions that we thought were right. And, and I look back and I go, but by the grace of God, did he show us mercy in some of those? But there's a contrast that we're going to make today. And that's the difference of w- the very end of that video says what was right in their own eyes. We've seen this throughout the book of Judges, right? We've got, been going through this. This is our 12th week. So we will have gone from Judges chapter 1 all the way through Judges chapter 21 this morning And what they what did it say over and over and over again? They did what was right in their own eyes, and that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing, you guys. You see, if you go to any sort of self help thing or some sort of thing, they do like, no, you do what's right in your own eyes. Like, take some time, think about it, weigh the pros and cons, and then you're going to make a good decision because you are smart, and you're educated, and you're wise. And you're, you know, all of these things. And we read in Judges that our default nature is not that. It's actually the, the, the complete opposite of that. So that's what we're going to be digging into. We're going to start in chapter 19. We're going to go through 21, okay? I'm not going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to cherry pick, and we're going to run through these stories. And, and if you read them after my caution and warning from last week, which I did get a text from a couple of people going, I want to see this, because it's, it's bad. Like, the last three chapters are bad, just straight horrible. Like, you could watch that on any sort of news channel right now, or any sort of soap opera, or drama. It's bad. And so we're going to step through that, and we're going to see what is the purpose of this. Before we get started... Um, if you're a guest here, welcome. Uh, if I didn't get to meet you on the way in, please, I'd love to meet you on the way out. We've got a gift bag up there. Um, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, thank you for worshiping with us. Let me, uh, let me start by praying. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Help us, Father, to read your word for what it is, Scripture. It's uh, useful for teaching us. And I pray that this morning, Father, that we would lay our hearts and our lives before you and ask that you would simply teach us this morning. Open our eyes. Help us to see ourselves through your eyes. Help us to see the world through your eyes. We love you, Father. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So what, we, what, did we, what have we seen as we've gone through Judges, right? This is a historical account. And you would, I think 19 through 21 demonstrates that, that Scripture is unaltered. <laughs> because, and I say this, and I try to point these out when we get to them, because there are some things in here that if I were trying to record the history of my own people, right? Like if I was Jewish and I was trying to record this history, I would go, not that, Okay, let's, let's change this a little bit, right, in order to make us look a little bit better. And that's not what we see, right? The, the winners write history, isn't that, uh, isn't that the, how the slogan goes, right? Um, they wrote it, but, but this, was in, this is inspired by God. And we're going to see that as we step through it, that like, this is, in fact, unaltered, accurate. And what is it, what is it useful for? 2 Timothy 3.16, what does it say? That all scripture is God-breathed, right? The entire book of the Bible, right, is useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking. So what we ought to do is take this and we read it and we go, okay, this, this is above me, right? This applies to me, right? This is, this is God communicating to me. I don't, I don't get to put this below me and, and put my own impressions upon it and direct it in the way that I want it to go, it's the exact opposite, right? And so, so this morning, that's what, how I want us to read through this. And, and here's the caution. This is going to get so bad that you're going to say, that was them. We would never do such things. That's what you're going to say. And you're going to listen to the story. And you're going to go, they must be different people. Because our people, like this generation, we've, we've evolved. We're, we're better people than that. I don't think it's accurate, <laughs> and I think what we, what we see is that we have, and I don't want to get too much into the, the pontification on this, but, but we have societal constraints on us that keep us, that, social norms that keep us from doing the things that they did. What did it say? There was no king. They did what was right in their own eyes. They had no authority over them, I'm just going to leave that there. I don't, I don't want to get into the politics of it. But there's some, there's some things that you don't do simply because of the societal repercussions. There's, there's things that non-believers, that people that don't follow Christ just don't do because, well, it's just so socially unacceptable. Now, and I'll just leave this here, but the anonymity of being online, the technology. Technological, I don't even know what I was going to say. The, 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 tech, the advances in technology. The advances in technology are so much, right, that, that we can now say things without this face to face interaction that, that don't create uh, a, like this weird societal tension, right? And so we can say things and we can do things now, and man, we're seeing it, right? We're seeing that people start to make decisions and do things that are a little bit outside of what we would have seen or done 30, 40, 50 years ago. So let's not think that these are people that are unlike us. And in fact, the only differentiation between them and us is the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. That's the the determining difference. It's it's about God's grace that he pours out on us. All right, so turn over to Judges chapter 19. Verse 1, it says, In those days when there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim. I have no idea the significance of these Levites that are just sojourning all over the place, right? But it's a different Levite than we saw last week, but he's in the same hill country of Ephraim. It says, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. Now I'm going to stop there for a second. Okay. I'm not going to dwell on this. Um, he does not appear to have a wife. He appears to only have a concubine. And in fact, he, she's referenced as his wife. He's referenced as her husband. And her dad is his father-in-law. So don't, don't get too bogged down on what, the significant, or what this concubine, what, what's the social status of that. We can't really get into that now. But generally speaking, women at times were sold to forgive debt. And I think that's what we're seeing here is that that she became his wife based on basically a, an exchange of goods that that the the her husband or her father couldn't pay a debt and so he had to give something in exchange and he had to give his daughter which is obviously horrific uh, but culturally at that time that's kind of how that happened so most likely this Levite came into acquisition of this and so it wasn't like this romantic marriage it wasn't an arranged marriage it was a concubine she was a concubine. And his concubine was unfaithful to him. And she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there some four months. Most scholars don't think that she was unfaithful in the sense of like uh, sexual immorality, but that she was unfaithful by leaving him, right? Like she left and she went to her dad's house. So then her husband arose oh, sorry, Um, went to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there some four months. Then her husband arose. He obviously really, really loved her because he waited four months to go get her. (laughs) It's kind of weird, right? We don't really know why. Um, Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and spent the night there. And what we're going to see is that the father-in-law is, is, is happy he came. There's got to be some weird, I, he, was, he was overjoyed to see his daughter, but now he's, he, he, we're gonna, in these next few verses I'm going to skip over, but he, he, there's this long exchange of him just trying to get this guy to stay, longer and longer. He's like, well, why don't you stay another night? why don't you just stay another night? Come here, let's drink some more. Let's go have some alcohol. Let's go be married together. Let's, let's just, and I think what's happening is he's trying to just keep his daughter there as long as possible, which would make sense if he had to sell her, right? And he, he like still loves his daughter, but he was compelled to sell her uh, based on poverty type things, right? So, and so this is what we see. So now skip down uh, to verse 10. So this only lasts so long, right? Like this guy's like, stay another night. Stay another night. Stay another night. And then finally, the Levites are like, uh, we got to go, right? And it says in verse 10, but the man would not spend the night. He rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. He had with him a couple of saddled donkeys and his concubine was with him. When they were near Jebus, the day was nearly over and the servant said to his master, come now, let us turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. And his master said to him, we will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gebeah. So this is interesting, right? So so he finally leaves. They leave late in the day, and they're passing by Jerusalem. Jerusalem at this time is not part of Israel, okay? The Jebusites own this. This is one of the the tribes that they were sent in to conquer the land, and they hadn't conquered that piece yet. And his servant goes, hey, let's go there. And what does he say? No. They're foreigners. They're not like us. They're not the people of Israel. They're not the children of God. We have no idea what they're going to do to us. Which is interesting. Because I couldn't imagine that what they were going to do is any worse than what Israelites were going to do to them. Which should cause us to pause, right? We we love labels. As humans. We love putting people in boxes. We love... Saying, like, by, based on their external ex, uh, appearances, that I can, I can prejudge them. I can determine who they are, what they think, what their life looks like, what their home life is, what their upbringing was, right? And we put people in these boxes. And, and this is exactly what he does. And he goes, no, they're foreigners. We, I don't want anything to do with them. The Israelites, they're better people. They're children of God. There's, there's a certain bar, there's a threshold that the children of God, the, the, the people of Israel have morality of ethics whatever it is and we're going to see as we read on that like that did not that that did not happen at all and i think that's interesting for us because at times we might feel especially if we come to church and we're followers of christ and we go i've checked that box i'm a christian i'm good i'm sure the children of israel thought that i'm good got a good relationship with god now, what do I need to do? How do I want to live? What do I want in my life? And, and these, this, is, this is what is happening, right? And, and what God is going to show us is that these labels, and th- there's no heritage in this, right? We each have our own relationship with God, and there's people that are going to be outside of this church that are going to be way more loving than people that are inside of God's church. Have you guys experienced that? Yeah. It's sad. It's sad. Right, but but just because we do certain things doesn't mark us in some way where we are somehow absolved from sin in our lives. We are still confounded and consumed by our rebellious hearts. So skip down to verse twenty-two. So this guy lets them into their house. Okay, he's in. They're in Gibeah, this this uh, Israelite city. It says as they were making their hearts merry. That's code word in the Bible for getting drunk. Behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, Bring out the man who came into your house, that we may know him. And they're talking about the Levite. Okay, this is... You guys know what that means, okay? All right, moving on. And the man... The master of the house went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not do this vile thing. Behold, here are my virgin, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now, violate them, and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. <clears throat> Sound like a familiar story, doesn't it? Lot, Genesis chapter 19. It's like the same thing, right? Lot goes in, he, he, or uh, Lot's in this house, these angels come, he tries to protect them, and the, the people of the town are so depraved, they're, they're coming in, they're knocking on the door going, give me those people, give me those men. We, we see a very parallel exchange here, and I think this is intentionally so, because it's showing the depravity of humanity. The same depravity that caused what to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> they were destroyed, It's disturbing, um, and 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 I don't think we can escape from this by saying, "Well, culturally, blah, you know." It's jacked up. It's jacked up across the board, right? This man somehow has has levied this accusation against the Jebusites because they're foreigners. They're not children of God. They don't. They're not like us. Here, take my concubine. Take his daughter. Because I want to be safe. That's a jacked up decision. And you can read on and, and that's, and in fact, they say, no, we want you. They're insistent that they want this Levite. They don't want his concubine and they don't want this guy's daughter. And it says that he actually, like, kicks his concubine out. He forces her out to them. And in the morning, she's on his doorstep, and she's dead. What depravity. Where have we gone, right? I mean, I mean, you just roll back. I mean, this is not a very thick part of the right? Like, we aren't very far, right? We're operating in, like, 1,200 to 1000 BC here. And the depravity is is insurmountable. It's incredible that that somebody would do that. Or or is it? Or, or is it? I mean, sex trafficking is all over the place now. This happens all the time. Just doesn't touch our lives. Maybe it's in another city. Maybe it's, well, that doesn't happen in our city because that's that's like in foreign lands. People not like us. It's all the same things that the Levites said. And then when push came to shove, his depravity was no better than the men who committed this vile act against this woman. He was no better than they were. He did what was right in his own eyes, didn't he? He weighed it. It's like, well, she can't live if I die. She probably won't die. It seems like this is a better solution. So what happens? He's he's raging mad now because his concubine died which is absurd. Chapter 20, verse 1. Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man to the Lord at Mizpah. Okay, so here's what he does. He finds his concubine. that He cuts her up into pieces and ships out pieces to all the different tribes and basically tells them, look at what this city did. Look at what this, the men of the city of Gebeah did. Come to Mizpah, and they all come. Because they're outraged, and he's outraged. You're like, okay, well, didn't you, <laughs> didn't you lead to this? Didn't, didn't you start causes? But he doesn't see that, right? He's blinded to his own sin. We are blinded to our own sin. Again, don't, don't put this as something like, well, this is, uh, this is egregious. We would never do this, okay? So again... Let's, let's learn from this abstractly, okay? He's blinded to it. And so everybody assembles at Mizpah. And they meet. And they go, what are we going to do? So here's what, here's what they decide to do. They go, we're going to go. And by the way, Gibeah was in the, city, was in the uh, tribe of Benjamin. So they go out to all the tribes of Benjamin, all the different cities. And they go, did you hear what your people did? Come fight against them with us. And Benjamin goes, no. We're going to protect them because they're Benjaminites. They cover it, right? They're like, no. The the right thing for us to do as Benjaminites is to protect Benjaminites. Tribalism, right? And and here's here's the crazy part, right? Israel crossed the Jordan into this land and was told, conquer the peoples in there, right? Subdue the land. This was their promised land. And now all of a sudden, you just fast forward a few years, and now the fighting is actually within Israel. It's degraded. It's degraded to the point that the fighting is internal. It's an internal fight. What God had wanted them to do, they're now distracted fighting amongst themselves. How ineffective do we become? When we start this self-worship that we talked about last week, how ineffective do we become for God's glory when we are fighting within and not living on mission for God's glory, right? Because the problem is is you can't pursue your glory and I can't pursue my glory at the same time. That's the problem. That's, That's the problem with humanity, right? We all want to or to advance ourselves, our own comfort, our own success, our own reputation, our own whatever, and you want to do the same thing. And well, then we can't both. And this is what happens. But if we're all directed towards God's glory, well, come on, let's go. Because we can all pursue that. So they gather, it says in verse 2, And the chiefs of all the people of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God. 400,000, I'm sorry, I apologize. I don't have that verse up there. Okay. Um, Turn over to chapter 21. That's where I meant to be. Chapter 1, verse 1. So the rest of chapter 20 is them fighting Benjamin. All the other tribes go up and they fight against the Benjaminites, and they win. They defeat them. They they kill all the Benjaminites. So in, in chapter 21, it says, Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah. Remember when they all assembled, they had sworn at Mizpah, No one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept bitterly, and they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel, that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? And the next day the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So, so they, 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 they destroyed Benjamin like they had planned. And now they, they're weeping because they're like, well, we've killed everybody in Benjamin. So one of the, the 12 tribes of Israel isn't going to endure, isn't going to last. They, they're cut off. God, why has this happened? And God's like, well, didn't you make that decision? Didn't you do what was right in your own eyes? Didn't didn't you guys assemble at Mizpah, Make the decision? Oh, by the way, there's there's not a whole lot of conversation between God and them. They weren't really seeking God's will for this or or to see it from his vantage point. They just go and they fight. So they feel bad for him. And so they try coming up with a solution. Here's what they do Is they go, Who didn't go to Mizpah? Right? Everybody, all the tribes assembled at Mizpah. Who didn't go there? And they find that Jabesh Gilead, some random city, didn't have a representative at the meeting. He was late. <laughs> Whatever. He never showed up. So they go, we We found our solution. They go to Jabesh Gilead, and they kill everybody, except for 400 women, 400 virgins, and they go, well, there. Now, we've solved our problem, because at Mizpah, we made a promise to God that we wouldn't marry into Benjamin, but these people weren't there, so they didn't technically make the vow, and now, since we've murdered all of the men that they could marry, we now have 400 virgin women that we need to marry, and so they take them, and they give them to the Benjaminites. There, solve that problem. I mean, this is this is incredible, isn't it? Like, like this was a valid solution in their eyes. In their eyes, they saw this and went, Oh, I can solve this. You guys, how how often do we do that in our lives? Like, obviously not on this level, right? But we do this, right? We 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 grapple. We end up having like consequences of our sins. We have things that happen that we try to control and mitigate the consequences and fix. Are you a fixer? I'm a fixer. <laughs> and what do we think? I can fix that. I can fix that. And we spend our time trying to fix it. Instead of going to God, going, God, I need you to fix this. I need your wisdom. I, need, I want to do what's right in your eyes, not what's right in my eyes. I want to do what's, what's right. I want to, right, all of you aren't just objects in my life, right? We, we tend to think this, right? That, like, everybody else is just a player in the, in the play that is, I am the protagonist, and, right? We, not me personally, right? Like, we all think that, right? That we're all the protagonists in our own plays, and everybody else are just extras. And we just try to mitigate the influence, but the reality is, is from God's perspective, He's the protagonist. <laughs> We're all the extras. <laughs> and so from his perspective, he looks at us and goes, no, don't, don't, you, don't you care about their spiritual welfare? Don't you care about their faith? Don't you care about their struggles? Or do you only care about your own? And look at where the blame resides. Verse 15. And the people had compassion on Benjamin because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Who did it? That guy did it. God did it. God made us fight each other. God set us up for this. It's God's fault that I'm struggling with this sin. It's God's fault that that these consequences in my life, it's God's fault that all of these bad things are happening. That's what they said. And God's like, you did what was right in your own eyes. I don't understand why, you, why you're coming back to me now at the end of this, and you're saying it's my fault. But they do one more thing. So they, so they blame God. And then, and then <laughs> if it couldn't get any worse, go to verse 20. The problem was is there were only 400 virgins from Jabesh-Gilead, and so they needed more women to help out the Benjaminites because they felt bad for them. So what do they do? Look in verse 20. They commanded the people of Benjamin, saying, Go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh, the city Come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, grant them graciously to us because we did not take for each man of them his wife in battle, neither did you give them to them, else you would now be guilty. So because we made the vow at Mizpah, that you weren't going to give any wives, well, you didn't give your wives, in fact, we just stole them. See, we solved it again. I don't know that you could write this story. That's sad. It's sad, but it's reflective. It should be reflective, right? It's it's useful for correcting and rebuking and teaching us. And we look at this and we go, how often are we making decisions in our lives and trying to do what's right in our own eyes? And then we stumble and we fail. And it says at the very end of Judges chapter 21, 21 verse 24, and the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family, and they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. Basically, they lived happily ever after. That's basically what that's saying. And then verse 25, the author of Judges says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is, this is where Judges ends. That's the end of Judges. This is a spiral that, of depravity that can't be undone. This is, this is the logical conclusion. We're, and let's, let's back up, right? Back up to the very beginning when we started Judges. How did all this start? How did all of this start? It started by people being faithful to God and then they rebelled. And they went and they did what was right in their own eyes. They pursued self-worship, right? They they took scripture, they took God's law, and they said, Let me use this to benefit me in my life. They worshiped themselves, and, and what happens? They rebel and God judges them and disciplines them. And then they cry out in agony. And what does our God do? He pours out grace. He pours out grace. And then they do it again. And he pours out grace. And we saw that after Samson and the life of Samson during that time, a couple weeks ago, right, that's basically where God left. in <laughs> Judges, got, like, the grace of God, he, he is pulled back, and there's really very little mention of God in these last few chapters in Judges. There's no repentance going on. There's no seeking God. Like, it's just offensive, sinful rebellion taken to its logical conclusion. And so the question for us is, 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 this, is this us? Is our depravity that bad? I don't have this verse up there, but if you go to Romans chapter 1, 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but They became futile in their thinking. Futile. Your thoughts, my thoughts, futile. Worthless. It's not going to work. That's what it means. Your thinking, your logic, your thoughts aren't going to work. They're not going to solve your problems. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Does that not describe what we just read? They became futile in their thinking. and They lived their lives in the absence of God. Their depravity, our depravity, is deeper than we would ever imagine, isn't it? So I ask it at the very beginning, like can we make good decisions? No. No. We can't not, not in our own minds, not in our own logic. Because why? What are we pursuing? We're not pursuing God's glory. You see, this is why it all cycles back around to God in our lives, right? Not not for some like self-help, it's just going to make our lives better. In fact, we cannot live lives that are glorifying to God without him. Your life is futile without God. And that makes sense, right? It makes sense because we were created for him, for his purposes. In the absence of God, what are we living for? Ourselves. And and this is the incredible part. This This is the depravity that we live in. We have no ability to solve it. You can't be good enough. You can't fix your futile thinking. You can't change the affections of your heart. Our God, the the God of the Bible, right, has has come down incarnate as Jesus, right, to conquer our slavery to sin. This slavery, the logical conclusion, where our sin takes us, God came in and intervened and said, no, that's not going to happen anymore. I'm going to set you free. That's what he does. In fact, if you look at Colossians 1.13, it says, He has delivered us from the divane of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his Son. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's conquered it. He's transferred us. Like, you can't do this. This is, this is God's will in our lives to rescue us from sin. We have, this is our path in the absence of God's grace. And this is why we rejoice. This is why we celebrate. This is why we come in here and worship because God is worthy of worship. Thank God he has rescued us. Thank God he sent his son. Next week, we're gonna celebrate um, the death and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's only through that that we have any hope of escaping the cycle of sin in our lives. That's why we celebrate. That. And, and here's the thing you don't have to do anything except trust in God because you can't do anything. See, at the, at the very beginning of this year, we started talking about we don't want to just survive. Right? Coming off of 2020, we're like, we're just all in survival mode, right? And so we we want to do more than survive. We want to thrive, right? And, and God wants us to thrive, to live, to grow, to glorify him. And we're not trying to have this like kitschy little term. Like genuinely, God wants us to thrive, to grow, to, to lead others to his son. And so how do we thrive? The recipe is here. We want to see the world through God's eyes. Not in our own eyes, not in our own wisdom. Because in our own wisdom we pursue ourselves, we pursue our own worship, we pursue our own comfort. But when we see the world, when we see each other through God's eyes, everything changes. I'm going to play, we're going to play a music video here. It's, it's old, <laughs> it's from like night. but I really like it, and I want you to listen to the words, and I want you to think about, like, do, do I do what's right in my own eyes? Or is my, my ask and my prayer of God that I see the world through his eyes? Let me, let me just play that now.
1: Tonight, touch down in the cold black tie, Hold on for the sudden stop. breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos. All those people going somewhere, why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second, give me your eyes so I can't see everything that keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the broken-hearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can't see. a man just to ride black suit and a bright red tie too ashamed to tell his wife he's out of work he's buying time all those people going somewhere why have i never cared give me your eyes for just one second give me your eyes so i can see I you.
0: Why did I never care? <laughs> you know, I think, I think when we read through this, we, we, we separate two things in our lives, right? We separate our love for others and how we ought to live and respond to them. And, we, and, we, and that's separate from our worship of God. And we treat those as two completely separate things. But they're not. When we follow Christ, when we worship God... His grace, His love flows through us to the world. And that's our purpose. And so may may that be our prayer today. That we have God's eyes. That we see the world through His eyes. And we pursue Him and the worship of Him. And and allow us to live lives that are not for our own vain self-glory. Leading to depravity upon depravity. But that He would be the source of our attention. Let me pray.